So today, it's kind of interesting how this all kind of ties together. We're going to be talking about, today's topic is, is, is worship. And what is worship and, and why do we worship? Why, why do we even have church? Why do we read the Bible? I think at some point or another, you have to come to a point where you ask yourself the why. Right? Because if you just if you just go to church to go to church or somebody pressured you or you know what I mean, we tell our kids all the time, like, we don't want just want you to believe this because we do. We want you to grab a hold of it for yourself. And so why do we do this every Sunday? Why do we uh, when she's playing music raise our hands? Why do we kneel? Why do people, you know, get emotional? And I want to talk about that, but before we even talk about what is worship and how do we worship and what does all that stuff mean, I want to talk about how massive God is. Is is that okay? Because I think if you don't start with how huge God is like, you, you don't have any foundation of, like, worship. You don't have any foundation of why why do I worship? Why is God worthy of worship? And so I want to start, uh, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 1, and uh, if this is uh, 1 through 5. It says this. First this, God created the heavens and the earth, all you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness. This is the message translation. I love it. A bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird over the watery abyss. Verse 5, God spoke light and light appeared. So it says in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void, and God's spirit hovered over the face of, face of the earth. Like, when, when you think about, you know, and scientists talk about this, that at the beginning of creation, for some reason, for, in some way, they've been able to trace it all the way back. Like, how did the universe start? Now, some people uh, that are in the scientific community, in the, in the community of physics, they acknowledge God, some don't. Uh, but they all agree with, on this fact, that at the beginning of everything, there was this single point, right? There was a single point. And, and, and you know, some of us have heard the phrase, the Big Bang. Uh, and, and they say this point, this origin of the universe it was, it was basically of infinite density. So this thing was so crushed and so small. We're talking about the beginning of the universe. They, one scientist describes it this way. He says, it, it was a sextillion ton pinprick of cataclysmic energy. So I just wanted you to use your imagination before everything, before the stars, the galaxies, your house, you know what I mean? The cars, the coffee shop, this place here, before everything began, before water, atmosphere, everything. It was all this tiny little point and, and it says that God said, let there be light, and boom, like that thing, that thing expanded. And ever since, and some people debate on this whole thing, how old is the earth? Is it 8,000 years old? Or is it, which I think is, I don't, I'm not going to get all, on all that stuff. I think it's ridiculous for anyone to say definitively that they know because we weren't there. Can we just acknowledge that? Hey, I wasn't there. I, I, I know somebody made it, though. I know, I know where it came from. Uh, so regardless of where you stand on all that stuff, God created the universe ever since it's been expanding. So let's just start with that. There's this being that exists. And think about it. this will hurt your head at night. When you lay down tonight, right before you go to sleep, I want you to think about this. That before there was anything, space, matter, air, there was this being that existed outside of that. And there was never a time that he did not exist. That's creepy. That's creepy. There's this being that exists outside of our existence that there was never a time that he did not exist. He is, he is the self-existent one. So let's just start with that. Why do I worship God? Why do I come here? Because there's a being that exists outside of everything I've ever known and been able to wrap my mind around, and he created it all. That's, that's where I start for me personally. He was at the beginning, right? The sun itself gives off three or four million metric tons of itself every second for the life of the universe. Every second, the sun gives off 3 million metric tons of energy. The sun 
gives of itself for the life of the universe. The sun gives of itself for the life of the universe. What does scripture describe Jesus? Jesus is the sun that gives himself for the life of the universe. It's incredible. It's incredible. They say there's hundreds of millions of cells dying in our body every hour, and your body at the same time is simultaneously giving birth to new cells to replace those that have died. So every day, every day of our existence, every hour of our existence, we are participating in death, or re death and resurrection. I always find it amazing when people say, it's impossible, resurrection, there's no way it's happened. It's happening inside of us right now as we sit here. Our cells are dying and being reborn. Fall is one of my favorite parts of the, of the year because you see these leaves, you know, that are green all year and that, what happens at the point of death, they become the most beautiful, that's a sermon in itself. When we can die to ourselves, we come to life, right? Death and rebirth, it's built into us. Our body is made up of seven billion billion atoms. And scientists say that they've identified subatomic particles that come into existence for a billionth of a second and then disappear. Like if you looked at the universe on a subatomic level, like it, it is amazing, it is amazing. And God made all of this. They appear and then they disappear. They don't know, and the thing is, even the most brilliant minds in the world, they don't know where these things come from and they don't know where they're going, right? It's amazing. They've identified particles that appear at one point, listen to this, this, this blew my mind when I heard, heard this. Particles that appear at one point then show up at another point without traveling the distance in between. Am I hurting your head yet, right? Psalms chapter 19, verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know that your body, on a, on a very, on a very uh, molecular level, you're made of the same stuff as stars. Do you know that? You know that. Your body is made of the same stuff as stars. You know, if you trace down the elements that are inside you, it's the same stuff that are in stars. There's a the theoretical physicist, his name's James Gate, and he was observing, uh, he's a, what's called a string theorist, and I promise this is going to be, a, this is not going to be a science lesson, but we got to start with, who are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? He's a, he's a uh, string theorist, and he says this, that they studied the universe, and using th string theory, they discovered that deep within the core of our universe, there is like a code and, and it's like it's almost like a mathematical code, you know. And, and, and this is how he describes it. It's an extremely unexpected. Listen to the language. And this is a guy who may, may or may not acknowledge God. It's an extremely unexpected self-dual linear binary error correcting block code. This scientist, this string theorist, is saying, "Hey, man, there's something going on in this universe. Like there's there's like design built into this thing, and it has this like self." correcting code, and I, I don't know what's happening, but there's something that I cannot figure out. That's right, error correcting, right? Our universe keeps moving beyond itself. It keeps making more. One guy said this, that progress is the soul of the universe. That's why you feel like you're dying when you get stuck in life, because we were made just like the universe to continue to expand and grow and create. Do you know your blood contains 3.4% salt, the same amount of salt that is in the ocean? Do you know the earth rotates on a perfect axis of 23.5 degrees, and if it falls off half a degree, we will freeze or burn to death? They say when you are looking up into the sky, and this one kind of is it's a little creepy. When you're looking up into the sky, 
You're not actually looking up, but you're gazing down into the infinite cosmic abyss with only gravity to hold you to the surface of the earth. So when you look up, you're not looking up, you're gazing down into the infinite abyss. You know, the sun, it's when, in, in Genesis chapter 1, when it says God created the heavens and earth, and he said, let there be light, and boom, the sun came into existence. The sun, think about this, the sun came out of God's mind. That's why he's worthy of worship. You're talking about a being that the sun, this thing is so massive, it, it's 93 million miles away, and the rays of that sun take eight seconds to travel from the surface of the sun to your skin walking down the street. That thing came out of God's mouth. We serve an awesome, amazing, amazing God. It's amazing. It's amazing. Do you know that not all starlight, and, I, and I'm going to move on from this in a minute. Do you know that not all starlight, and this will really hurt your head. Not all starlight is the same age. Do you know when you go outside and you look at the stars, you know some of those stars that you're seeing don't exist anymore? The light is just now reaching you. Like that stuff came out of God's mind. It's amazing. It's amazing. They say in the cerebral cortex of the human brain, there are around 125 trillion synapses. If each of these were a star, they would fill 1,500 Milky Way galaxies. Not to mention how technically the brain has mentioned has uh, named itself. You ever think about that? The brain named itself. You ever hear that? It's pretty funny if you think about it. Many of the atoms you're made of were brewed up in the heart of an exploding star. Your body contains cosmic relics from the creation of the universe. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, now I'm going to wrap up with this on this science project. There's these things called neutron stars, and, and they, they happen when stars explode. And stars, and basically when stars uh, explode, they get crunched up into this small, dense thing called a neutron star. And, and, and when you talk about density, the more dense something is, the heavier it is. And so these, neut these neutron stars, this will hurt your head, they're so dense that you could take a teaspoon, a teaspoon that you feed a baby with and put a teaspoonful of a neutron star in it and it would weigh more than Mount Everest. It's amazing. God made all of that. God made all of that. John chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, it says, Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life blazed out of darkness, and the darkness could not put it out. You know, people, well, describe God to me. God is like light that has come to invade the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. God is so awesome. He's so huge. He's so massive that the entire, think about this, the entire universe existed in the mind of God before it was ever here. I don't know if you've ever thought about some deep things. I've never thought about something that deep. Everything, the whole genetic code of the human body, right? The whole way the universe works together, gravity, all that stuff before it was ever being. We Imagine thinking of something that never existed before. You can't do it. You can't think of it because we always need to have a reference point. All this stuff existed in God's mind before it was ever created. Why do we worship God? Well, first of all, I start with faith. He's massive, man. He's huge, like... If there's a being out there and he made all this stuff, like, hey, I'm going to give you props, dude. Can we just start there? Hey, you made all this? That's amazing. That's amazing. The fact that I can wake up and, like, be self-conscious, like, that's incredible. I'm going to start with that. That's that's why he's, wor he's worthy to be worshipped. Why else do I worship God? Because he's God and I'm not, right? He created it and I did not. Because he is good and because all good things come from him. And because, like the painting depicts, he has redeemed us by his death 
burial, and resurrection. What is redemption if you're new to this whole thing? Redemption is this. Patrick was sitting in darkness. Patrick was lost. Patrick was empty on the inside, and the light of the world came to him in solitary confinement and brought light into my darkness, and everything changed. That's redemption. We at the Fringe believe there's no separation between the church and daily life. There's no secular and sacred. Everything is sacred. God is everywhere all the time. The heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So for us, worship is not just something that happens on Sunday or Wednesday, but, but it's a lifestyle. It's an awareness that we can carry God with us everywhere that we go. It's not this compartmentalized thing that happens on Sunday during 10 and 12 and on Wednesday. Maybe God's available between 7 and 9. It's way bigger than that, way bigger than that. It can happen out in the world with how we interact with people, what we choose to imagine the world, how we interact with people, how we choose to spend our money, how we worship. It can free us from, and, and this is the thing, how we spend our money can free us from the worship of materialism and greed, right? And worship is, is all around us. It's all encompassing. How we treat the environment can be worship when we take care of it and respect it because we're acknowledging that God made it, Right? In doing this, we acknowledge that the earth is a gift to be taken care of and not just exploited. Worship, and listen to me, worship is not something you just go to. It's a way that you live. Worship is something that you live. And today I want to focus on these intentional times on Sunday when we're here. That's what I want to talk about today. Why do people raise their hands? Why do some people kneel? Why do people get emotional? What does it mean? And I thought, you know, what a good way to go through all this stuff is I want to go through the Hebrew words of worship and, and like, what does this stuff mean? So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, before we get into that, I want to talk about two things in Jewish culture that they do that I think is fascinating, and it's a great place to start. The first thing is called a yarmulke. Some of you guys may be familiar with Jewish culture. Some of you may not. In Jewish culture, if you go into a synagogue and even outside the synagogue, they wear these little things on their head. They're called yarmulkes. And the reason that they do that is it's, is it's a physical, tactile rem a reminder that God is always above us. And so you even see these guys out in public. It's not just in the synagogue, but they wear those things because they want a tactile, physical, physical rem reminder that God is always above us. And not in some hovering, cosmic, killjoy, and, you know, divine police type of way. Like, you know, I'm the, I'm the divine cop trying to pull you over. But in, in a way that, like, God is over all of us. And he's over all of us. And it's an amazing thing. So we start with that. Why do we worship? We worship because we realize that God is above all of us. They do something else and it's called shuckling, shuckling. Now, we're not talking about shucking corn, right? It's called shuckling with an L. And, and during a Jewish worship service, uh, they will sway back and forth. And I've been to these. It's really interesting to watch. They'll sway back and forth when they're praying. They'll do this type of thing. If you've ever seen them on TV, uh, you know, at the Western Wall, with the Wailing Wall. In Psalms 3510, it says this. And this is kind of why they do that shuckling. All of my limbs shall proclaim who is like you. They believe that when we praise God, we, go, we do so with all of our being. So when you worship God, it's not just like your mind. It's not just like your spirit and your emotions. Like They believe that all of your being, your psyche, your, your body, your arms, your leg, your breath, the way that you breathe, how you move, uh, they believe that, that every fiber of ourself is involved in connecting with our creator. So why do we stand up during while, while we're singing? We stand up because it's a way of saying, God, you are above us, and I'm going to engage my body. I'm going to engage my limbs and honor who you are by standing up. Can you worship God sitting down? Of course you can. Of course you can. In Proverbs chapter 20, 
Verse 27, it says, The soul of man is the candle of God. The candle's flame constantly sways and flickers as it attempts to tear free of its wick and ascend on high. Our soul is also engaged in a constant effort to escape the mundane world and cleave to its godly source. So in Jewish culture, that's another reason why they do shuffling, is they believe that the human spirit is like a candle that's lit, like it's constantly trying to sway. And, and it's a way of acknowledging, hey man, I gotta stay connected to you. There's a story of this ancient rabbi, his name was Rabbi Akiva, and it said that he would shuffle so hard, they would be in a service and doing this, like dude would be up here moving around and doing his thing, and like he'd turn around, he's like way over there in the back of the building. Like dude would get into it, man, like he would get into it. And let me just say this before I kind of get into these Hebrew words, all of us have different personalities and that's okay. So don't think I'm trying to encourage you to have some like spiritual circus up in here. Like, hey, if that's not you, that's not your that's not your personality, that's not how you engage with the God. It's all good. It's all good. Like God wants to meet you with where you're at. He wants to meet you in your personality. But there is something about when we can physically interact with what we're doing, right? It's powerful, powerful. And so he would he would end up all the way on the other side of it. And then also, uh, before we get into these words real quick. They believe in Jewish culture, and this is the culture that Jesus came from. This is the tradition that Jesus came from. They believe that the highest form of worship is not church service. It's study. The highest form of worship is the study of the scriptures, right? It's because what, what are you doing? Now think about if you're in a relationship or you're married or you're, you're dating somebody. How do you honor that person? You honor them by getting to know them. That's why we study the scriptures. That's why we open the Bible. That's why they view in that culture that this is the highest form of worship because I want to know more about you. That's all that is. That's what's all, what that's all about. If you go to one of these Messianic services or even an Orthodox uh, Jewish service, you'll see they have this part of the service where everybody like gets so excited and they have this cabinet at the front of the synagogue and they will like open this thing and there will be like these like epic like glorious velvet scrolls, you know what I mean, with all this like gold like stuff on it. And that's that's the scriptures. And so there's a part in the Jewish service where everybody gets so excited, it's the unveiling of the scriptures. And in some uh, Jewish synagogues, they will actually dance around the synagogue and they will pass that thing around and people will kiss it and touch it because they value the study of who he is. Powerful man, powerful man. So I want to just share a couple things real quick and then we'll kind of wrap up here. Uh, I want to just share a few words in, in the Hebrew of what is worship. Uh, there's several different words that kind of describe it. And I think it really gives us a, a good thing to hold on to and, and some clarity on why do we do this. I want to start with the first word. It's called Torah. Can you say Todah? It's kind of like Tada, but Todah. <laughs> Todah. Now, Todah, this is referred to in Psalms 145, verse 4. This is like when you shout praise. This is when you express confidence in God's ability. Todah means to shout or to address with a loud voice. But Todah goes even further. It's an attitude of gratitude for God's, listen, for his promised deliverance while we, were, while we are still in need. So it's a way of saying, hey man, while I'm in need right now, while I'm going through this right now, I'm going to acknowledge that you are still able to come through for me. Dave, King David refers to this in Psalms 56, 1 through 12. He talks about how he's being surrounded by the Philistines and it's not looking good. Like he's outnumbered. And it says that I, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you and God, whose word I praise all day long. They twist my words. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps. 
hoping to take my life. Record my misery. Then my enemies will turn back and call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. So this dude is surrounded. And you might be surrounded this morning. You might be surrounded by some stuff. You might be going through some stuff. And it feels like your life is falling apart. And it feels like it's not going to turn out right. So God is when we say, hey, even though in the face of this, even though it looks like it's not going to work out, even though it looks like things are falling apart, God, I'm still going to acknowledge that you are faithful and you can do something here. Even when, when my financial situation looks bad, even when my relationship looks bad, whatever it is that you're going through this morning, so God is saying, hey, God, I see this. I'm going to acknowledge this, but I know that you are way bigger than this. Amen. Some of you may need to tell God this morning. Second one is called Shabak. Some of us have heard the Shabak also means to shout or address in a loud tone. I used to be in a rock band. We did hip hop and like, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it'd be metal, but it was pretty heavy uh, years ago. And I, and, I, and I used to make fun of these kids that were in my band because they could do that heavy metal scream. And they're like, oh, if it's so easy, then just do it. And so I learned how to scream, but it's actually hard to do it, believe it or not. If you don't listen to heavy metal, like those dudes that can scream like that, there's actually talent attached to it. So. I'd scream my brains out, like lose my voice, and finally learn how to do it. Uh, I was going to do it this morning for this, but <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll save you that. I'll save you that. But Shabbat means to shout or address in a loud tone. For example, the pagan king of Babylon. Now, this is powerful. King Nebuchadnezzar. He was, he was basically, he wouldn't acknowledge God, and, and there was this king, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, and he wouldn't acknowledge God, and not only did he not acknowledge God, he kind of mocked the whole thing, and he built idols up for other people to worship, to say, hey, that's, that's not God, but I'm going to build I'm gonna build an idol, and everybody's going to bow down, and if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into a furnace, right? And so it says that this dude's arrogance just offended God, and God struck his mind and made the dude insane, and he was literally living in the fields with cattle, eating grass for seven years. Like, the Bible is not boring. I don't know who told you that. I don't know who told you, oh, the Bible, oh, the Bible. The Bible is like, like the ancient days of our lives. Like, if the Bible was made into a movie, it would be rated X. Kids, you would not be allowed to go. There's, there's, uh, there, there's incest in there. There's rape in there. There's murder. I mean, there's people that lose their mind and eat grass for seven years. Like, it's not this boring story. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, for seven years, man, because of his arrogance and because of his pride and because of his refusal to acknowledge the great I am, he lost his mind. He was eating grass. He lost his mind for seven years. Finally, it says that he snaps out of it. And, and, and in the original language, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar Shabbat. Now imagine, for seven years, he does this, and he says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he has done right and all his ways are just. All those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Who walked in pride? Him. He's saying, I walked in pride. God was able to humble. Think about this. This wasn't, you know, and oftentimes when we read this, we're like, now I Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify King Heaven, because everything he does is right and just. This dude was insane for seven years. So when he said that, it wasn't, oh, praise the Lord. Like, dude was like, ah, finally, I got my mind like he is God. 
Like tear that idol down, you know? And you might be going through something this morning. You might feel like in your mind, like you are confused and things are going and you're struggling with some mental stuff. You're struggling with some psychological stuff. You've got all this circus going on in your mind. And just maybe, just maybe when you choose to shout above that, God will bring some clarity to your mind. Because the scripture said that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Those of you that struggle with anxiety and depression, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and of a sound, clear mind. Maybe you need the Shabbat this morning if you're struggling in your mind. Third one is the word Barak. Can you say Barak? Not Obama, but Barak. <laughs> Maybe this is where I got his name. Who knows? Barak is mentioned in several different places, but it's mentioned in Psalms 95, verse 6. It says, kneel and bless the Lord. Uh, this expresses humility. Barak is used to denote blessing, and this is also referred to in the story of Job. If you're going through a hard time, I encourage you to read it. Uh, Job was like the most, has the worst life ever. Can I just say that? Like, if you think your life is bad, like, I guarantee you Job has it worse. Like, Job had it worse. And Job, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but Job was like this wealthy man. Like, he had all these cattle. Because, like, back in the day, it wasn't like, oh, look at my bank account. Look at my BMW. It's like, oh, look at my 40 cattle. You know what I mean? Like, the way you brag, you know, look at my camels. You know? It, it wasn't what we consider now. But he had all this land. He had all these animals. And it says that he was a man who lived uprightly before God. And what happens when he was living uprightly? It says that the devil came to tempt him and to test him. And, and he, the devil comes to God and says, hey, the only reason Job is worshiping you because everything is going good. But let me take some of that stuff from him. And let's see if he praises you. Let's see. If, and so the story goes that Job loses everything. Like they come to bring him bad news. And by the time that dude's done telling him about the bad news, there's another guy behind him telling him, hey, not only are your kids dead, but your whole house collapsed. And like somebody stole all your animals. Like it's just like this epic story of disappointment one after one after one can anybody relate to this has anyone ever been in that space where it felt like man the moment i get up i feel like i'm kicked back down the moment i get on my feet the moment i save a couple dollars something goes wrong with my car it seems like nothing goes right and job has all this stuff happen not only does he lose his family not only does he lose his money not only does he lose his friends but it says that his body starts breaking out in sores and boils and it says that he would take these pot shards like a piece of a pottery and he would scrape the boils because they hurt so bad and they were blistering on his body and job says this in the midst of that it got so bad his own wife even said to him job why don't you just curse god and die why don't you just curse God and die? This is what Job says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the Lord of the name be praised. So Barak is when you're going through all that stuff, and everything has fallen apart, and you've lost everything. And really, in the logical sense, you have nothing to thank God for, but you still choose while you're sitting in ashes, while you're sitting with your wounds, while you're sitting in loss and struggle and financial stress that you say, God, even in the midst of this, I still praise you. I still bless you. I still barack you because I know that 
Naked I came into this world, and naked will I return. Even if you never did another, that, there's something powerful to that. I'm telling you right now, and I'm telling you because I've had to learn that a hard way. I had to learn that in solitary confinement. I had to learn that after my brother was murdered when I was in prison. I had to learn that after all my friends had betrayed me and turned their backs on me. And when I'm sitting in my ashes, I had to learn that God, like I'm going to praise you regardless of all this stuff because you are worthy. If you never did another thing for me, God, I acknowledge that you are good and your thoughts and your intentions are good towards me, and Barak is often the powder keg that will bring you out of those ashes. Job realized that the most important in the world, most important thing in the world cannot be stripped away. He lost everything. He lost everything. Leonard Cohen talks about this in his song. He says, love is not always a victory march, but sometimes it can be a broken and cold hallelujah. Leonard Cohen, the famous artist, famous singer, says this, love is not always a victory march, but at times can be a broken and cold hallelujah. Why have we bought into this philosophy, especially in American, Western, consumeristic, greedy culture, church, churchianity, right? Uh, why have we bought into this idea that the sign that God is with you, that you have all these things and everything's going right? Can we just acknowledge as a French church, that's a bunch of trash, and life isn't always like that. And let me, let me, if no one's ever told you, you could be sitting in ashes right now. You could be sitting broke right now. That is no reflection on God's proximity to you. His proximity to you is not based on whether you jump through all these religious hoops or you believe all the right things perfectly. His proximity to you and his proximity to you alone is based on what Jesus did on his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And there is nothing that man can do to separate you from God. There is nothing. You can ascend to the highest heights, the song said, or you can make your bed in what feels like hell. And God says, I am still there. I'm still there. The next word is the word yada. Can you say that? Yada. Yada is mentioned in Psalms 63 verse 1. It's the extended of hand. So it's like when we're singing and we're praising and we're raising our hands, like it's a way of saying, hey, like, Lord, I'm lifting my hands up to you. It says this, lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Yada is like when my little two-year-old daughter comes to me and she says, Daddy, <laughs> like, I don't know about you. I used to be a thug and a gangster, man, but that'll melt you right there, right? Some of you guys that, you know, you have kids, you've gone through this, you can see the toughest guy fits all bought up, been in the penitentiary, covered in tattoos. Let his daughter walk up and say, Daddy. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when you see somebody eat an ice cream cone. You can never look tough eating an ice cream cone, you know? <laughs> You'll think about that next time you're out of loves. Look around for the toughest guy and watch him lick that comb. Say, well, yeah, you're a big baby. You look like a little kid. Yada, it's like it's, it's when we raise our hands, it's an intentional sign of surrender, right? And so as if you see us in here and we're singing and we're raising our hands, that's our way of saying, God, I surrender to you. Now, I got a good analogy of this because I used to commit crimes. I've been to prison. Some of you guys have heard my story. When the cops are chasing you, and I used to be real good at being chased by the cops. I'll tell you this, you can ask my mother afterwards. She has all kinds of stories for you. The cops could never catch me. I was a professional uh, escape artist. Like, they could not catch me. I used to steal cars. You know, they would chase me. They'd try to do their little maneuvers. I'd get away every, every single time. Uh, the only times they would catch me is like if my friend would trip or fall. And I'm not glorifying this stuff. It's, it's funny now. This was years ago. I'm not being chased anymore. Uh, but yeah, I used to run from the cops. But once in a while, once in a while, they would outfox you, you know what I mean? They'd lock you and they cut you off, right? Some of us 
Anybody here know what that feels like to be caught by the cops? Don't raise your hand. Uh, but yeah, when they catch you, especially if you did the stupid stuff that I do, oftentimes when they catch you, they're, they're pursuing you with their firearms extended, right? And, and what, do, what do you do when they catch you, right? You got me. <laughs> hands up. What, what, what does hands up say in, a, in, a, in an interaction with the police? It says, you've caught me. I surrender. Think about the spiritual implications of this. You caught me. I surrender. I realize that you have authority over me. And yes, I am willing to go with you wherever you want to take me. So when we raise our hands in worship, when we come to church and we raise our hands, it's a way of saying, God, I'm tired of running. And oftentimes that's when people surrender. If you ever watch the show Cops or these police chases, like that dude might be running fast at first, you know what I mean? But what happens? He eventually gets tired. Some of us in this room, we've been running from God and running from God. And you're getting to the point where you're getting tired and, and, and raising our hands and saying, God, I surrender. I'm tired. You caught me. I realize you're, you're, you have authority over me. I'm no longer going to resist arrest. I realize that you have authority over me, that you've outnumbered me, that you've outpowered me. God, I'm willing to go where you're willing to take me. I'm willing to go where you want to take me. And some of us, that's where we're at in life today. That's where we're at in life today. We have resisted going the direction that God wants to take us. And I can say this because I've done it. I've gone through it myself. Some of us need to raise our hands and say, God, you know what? I believe in you. I've been trying to walk this thing out, but I've been walking in the wrong direction. There's ways you want to take me. There's directions you want to move me. And I've been resisting. God, I'm going to get die this morning. So sign us surrender. Sign us surrender. The next one is called Toda. Can you say that with me? Tada. It's kind, of, it's kind of like the other one, but it's a little different. Toda. This is referenced in Psalms 50, verse 23. Again, this is a raised hand. This is the expression of praise in the Old Testament. And it's used in conjunction with offering and extended hands in, in adoration. So when they would, when they would toda, which is different than tada, when they, when they would do that, they would often have something in their hands. So if they bought their sacrifice in the temple, they would raise that thing up to God and say, here, I offer this to you. Toda is when we're holding on to things. Some of us know what, what this feels like. We're holding on to things that we need to let go of. Some of, us, some of us have struggled with bitterness and unforgiveness. We're holding it tight and we don't want to let go. When you told God this morning, like that is a way of saying to God, hey, Lord, this bitterness, this unforgiveness, like I don't want to carry this anymore. I know this sacrifice doesn't look good. It's ugly. It's nasty. But I, I just I don't want it anymore. Will you please take it from me? Told God is when we're willing to lift up what we're holding on to and open our hands to what God has for us. I heard someone describe this one way. There was a little kid. His grandpa comes to him and says, hey, say, I got this quarter for you. He sees the quarter in his hand. He's got a closed hand in the other hand. He says, you can either have this quarter or you can have this, but it doesn't show what's in the hand. What do you want? Do you want the quarter? So the kid takes the quarter. Grandpa opens the hand. He had a $50 bill. You know, that's oftentimes what we do with God. We hold on to stuff. We hold on to toxic relationships. We hold on to things that we think have value. When the whole time, if we're willing to do, to die, if we're willing to let it go, that what God has in his other hand is so much bigger than what you're holding on to and what I'm holding on to. Some of you this morning need to die. I've got two more of these. The next one is called Toka. Toka. Can you say that with me? So kai is the clap or applaud. This is the expression of joy or victory. So when we're clapping in a church service, this is what this symbolizes. 
It can mean to clatter, slap the hands together, clang an instrument, to drive a nail or tent pin or a dart into the ground. It can also refer to when we become a bondsman by classmen, or, or this refers to shaking hands in a business deal. If somebody's going through something and you're loaning somebody money, there's a lot of implications here we'll get into in a second. It can also mean to blow a trumpet, to strike sound or thrust, to drive a weapon. It can mean to give blast or strike a pledge in something. And it talks about this in Psalms 47. Uh, one, two. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. Tokat indicates energy and enthusiasm. God has built into the human being an almost instinctive urge to clap and shout when victory is experienced. We see this in football all the time. What do people do when the team scores a run? They clap. They get up. They shout. That's a spiritual thing happening, you know what I mean? They're worshiping the wrong thing. I'm not knocking you if you like football in here. But that's, that's what's going on. And so toka can also refer to where you drive your tent stake. Let me, let me explain this to you. Where and how you pitch your tent can be worshiped. What do I mean by that? Where you choose to live your life, where you choose to build, how you choose to build your home, how you choose to build your family, how you interact in your household, how you choose to pitch your tent, like that can be worship. Worship is not just we come to church and we sing songs, we praise and we clap. Like how you run your house, men, like that, that is worship to God. Our decisions on what we choose to celebrate or not celebrate can be worship. What we clasp ourselves to or what we fasten ourselves to can also be worship. What we pledge our allegiance to can be worship. Can I just say unequivocally, I pledge my allegiance to Jesus more than any government, any political party. And I'm not going to go on a rant here, but let me tell you something. Like our faith and our hope with the French church, it's not in a political party. It's not in who's this president and who's that president. And if we could just get this person in and just get that person in, let me tell you something. That can be idolatry. Like we acknowledge here today our allegiance above all of that stuff. And I'm not knocking you wherever you stand on that political spectrum, but our allegiance is not to any of that stuff over who God is. Like we pledge allegiance to the slaughter man. Man. You know what I mean? Because he, at the end of the day, is the hope of the world. What we pledge our allegiance to, how we choose to use our money to help other people can be worship. It also refers to the strike of a weapon. So what we choose to fight for or not fight for can be worship. Some of you guys know I'm a songwriter. I've written hip-hop and done shows and recorded albums. And I've got this song lyric that says this. It says, without love, it doesn't matter what you're fighting for. Without love, without love, it doesn't matter which, what you choose to fight for or not fight for can be worship. Yeah, this is good. It's going to get real in here. Uh, this is the word halal. Can you say that? Halal. This is where we get the word hallelujah. It's the root word for hallelujah, which means praise. Praise is halal. And, and God is the word ja, ja. So hallelujah is, is what that means. It, it expresses joy, jubilation, and celebration. Halah is the most common word for praise. To, the word simply means to, bro, listen to me, to boast, brag, or rave about God, even to the point of appearing foolish. Again, we talked about the football game. You know what I mean? And again, it talks about because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Psalm 63 says, I will praise you as long as I live. Hallelujah is a spontaneous outcry of one who is excited about God. It is reserved, it is reserved for times of extreme exaltation. To hallelujah, and this is, this is where it gets real. 
So hallelujah is to reach a point where you stop caring about what other people think. We live in a culture, we live in a social media climate and an internet climate where we are so consumed with how people perceive us that it has become like, like mental and spiritual slavery. Like, and, and I'm not saying I ever struggle with it, okay? Let's just keep it real. We've all struggled with this. Like, we live in a society that is so driven by this. There's a story of King David that they had just come back and they had the Ark of the Covenant. And it says that he was so excited about what God was doing that, like, dude was dancing so hard, his clothes came off. Like, he was naked. <laughs> hey, I'm not telling keep your clothes on. We're not going to start doing that. Relax. Take a deep breath. Nobody's going to get naked in here. Uh, but, like, dude was, like, he was so passionate about what God was doing. Like, he didn't care what other people thought of him. It wasn't any weird thing that was going on. It was something that was culturally appropriate during that time. Uh, and But he didn't care, and he danced, and it said that his... His wife at the time, like she looked down and she was just disgusted and embarrassed of him. But David didn't care. Like he was dancing with all of his heart and all of his, his, his life. And I, and I want to say this. So hallelujah is to reach a point where you stop caring about what other people think. It's when we get comfortable, listen to me, when we get comfortable in our own skin, when we aren't ashamed or embarrassed of our faith and our passion for God. So hallelujah is to live an antithesis of everything modern social media platforms are built upon. The idea of shaping our lives around accumulated likes, followers, subscribers, and building a false identity is killing us. It's stealing the freedom that comes with the hallelujah. The insatiable desire to be liked and admired by everyone is draining our souls. It's draining our souls. It's very rare that you see somebody post something real on social media. And again, we've, we've all been guilty of this. People take the picture of the best food, meal they've ever had, right? They go on vacation or something like that. You know, I've I, I yet to see somebody take a picture of like the middle of the campaign. You know, and I'm, gonna tell you, I'm not telling you to do that, right? Some things are better left. Can we just acknowledge? You need to think about what you put on social media. You know, some things are better left personal. Uh, but yeah, I, I've never seen the, you know, let me take a picture of the bill I can't pay. Uh, you know what, man? Uh, my lights got shut off. Let's take a picture of us sitting in the dark. Uh, yeah, man, I, I'm really uh, struggling with this. Let me take a picture of myself. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. And I'm not knocking social media. I've got a lot of friends in different parts of the country and overseas. And it's a great way to connect with people. And it's, it, if you use it for the right reason, it can be a good thing. But we live in a world that we're inundated with our value is placed on how other people perceive us. There's a show called Black Mirror. And they've got this episode where this, like, I forget the actress's name. The whole society is built on, like, her amount of likes. And so they create this, like, act that you go around and how you talk to the guy at the coffee shop. Like, not only does it determine your likes on this social media thing, but it determines what kind of house you're allowed to buy. It determines, like, the kind of crowd you're allowed to hang. And it sounds ridiculous, and I'm not some conspiracy theorist. I'm not even going to get into all that, right? But it, it, it shows you how if we continue this trajectory that we're on, like, what it's going to do to us as a society. Can I tell you, no matter how you feel about yourself this morning, when God looks at you, he thinks you're amazing. Like, the most... In 
amazing being to ever be thinks you are incredible and he likes you and he comments on you and it says in Isaiah that man I know the thoughts I have for you I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you prosper you give you a future hope and an expected end I have a plan for you that's good and not evil and so if you've struggled with self-identity, if you've struggled with not feeling like you're part of this or part of that, or you don't fit in, or, or you're not good enough, or you don't look like this, or you don't have this, like just know like God wants to free you of that. And so for you, maybe the hallelujah is to get to a point where you're comfortable in your own skin. That is a liberating thing. And maybe that's where you're at this morning, and I'm going to ask Gabrielle to come back up and lead us. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're in a place where you don't feel comfortable in your skin and you're struggling with all these inner thoughts and these negative thoughts. Some of, sometimes we treat other, be, other people better than we treat ourselves and our thoughts. I've been there. I've been there. And so for you, for you, maybe it's hallelujah. Maybe that's your prayer. She's going to start playing, and I just want you to... I'm going to ask everybody to stand again, and I want you to just close your eyes, and everybody just close your eyes. We can stand now. And uh, whatever of those things that resonated with you, maybe it's, hey, like I'm not comfortable in my own skin, and I want to acknowledge that. And I want God to tell me what I'm worth, because I don't feel like I'm worth anything today. For you, maybe that's hallelujah. Just talk to God about that this morning. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're in a place of taka, and you know, you're going through this stuff, and, and it feels like you're surrounded, you know, and it feels like you're, like, maybe you've entered into business situations that have not been good. Maybe, you, maybe you've maybe you entered uh, relationships that have not been good. Maybe you've connected yourself with things that are not good, and you need to taka. Just talk to God about that. Just speak to him about that today. Maybe you've as a man, and I struggle with this myself, none of us are perfect. Maybe we haven't been as intentional as we could about how we build our house. Maybe we need to just stop and restake our stakes. For you, maybe you're in a place today that you need to surrender. Maybe you've been coming here for several weeks and you feel God pulling at your heart. And you feel God calling you, and, you, and you, just like the police, you know, you've been running, you've been running away from it, you've been hiding, and God, you just feel him. He's continually to calling you, and he's saying, hey, come to me, and, and God wants to say to you today, would you just yada? Would you just lift up your hands? Would you just surrender to me? Maybe that's where you're at today. Take time to speak to God about that. For some of you, you may need to barack. You, you, you may be going through what Job has gone through and you've lost everything and God wants to know, hey, can, can you praise me now? Can you praise me when you're sitting in the ashes? Because I want you to know, my child, that if you can praise me when you're in the ashes, I will take your ashes and I will give you beauty. Maybe like Job, you're sitting in ashes and you've, you've lost everything. Can you barack? Can you kneel? Can you humble yourself? Can you bless the Lord? Maybe, maybe you've struggled psychologically. Maybe you've struggled with all this stuff, with, with anxiety and depression. And maybe like the King Nebuchadnezzar, you've been living beneath your worth. You've been living beneath where you know you're meant to be. And just like this king, you might not be eating physical grass, but you have lowered yourself. You, you've accepted things for yourself that you know you deserve more, you deserve better. Would you Shabbat this morning? Would you say to God, yes, I'm on the grass, I'm on my knees, and I know I'm living below where I'm living, but God, would you restore my mind for you? Maybe that Shabbat, maybe it's Shabbat. And finally, some of us may need to toda. 
Some of us need to thank God for the deliverance we have not experienced yet. Maybe there's something you're praying about. Maybe there's something you're going through, something you're struggling with. And you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been trying to believe and trying to hope. And, and God wants to know this morning, can you, even though you don't see the end, even though you're in that tunnel and it all seems dark, can you just thank me for coming through for you? Even before it happens, can you tell God this morning? So, God, we just take this time as Gabrielle leads us, Lord, and we acknowledge that you are good, that you are amazing, that you spoke scars and planets into existence. We thank you, God, that the universe, you are so huge and you are so massive, and we acknowledge that you are God and we are not, and, and that the universe existed in your mind before you ever created it. And, God, you have created us and we're made in your image. And regardless of how we feel about ourselves this morning, God, you look at us and you see something good. You created and you said it was good, it was good, it was good. And when God looks at you this morning, he sees good and he sees good and he sees life and he sees hope and he sees a future and an expected end. And so as she leads us, just take this time to connect with God.